At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. It's good to be back after a hiatus. And you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from sunny Santa Monica, California, from the Internet Law Center. Um, we have a great show for you, as usual. And um, the feature today is going to be on the state of cybersecurity in the Internet. And we have um, with us, we're going to have Liam Merchew, who is the... Um, the manager for Symantec Security Technology and Response. And Symantec has just released a, a very riveting um, Internet Security Threat Report, um, which reports an 81% increase in cyber attacks. And um, there's more to it than that. Some of it's disturbing, but there actually even is some good news in there that we'll be talking about. So we're going to start, we're going to have that in the second half hour. But we're going to start off with um, and some updates on the news on what's going on in the cyber world. Um, and particularly, let's start off with some good news. Um, we've covered quite extensively on this show the Amazon tax as it has progressed through state by state. And um, we've had me um and we've had a number of guests on the show to talk about um, this and um, 
most recently, just a few weeks ago, we had um, Jerry Shorsell and uh, Rebecca Madigan from the um, Petroleum, excuse me, the Performance Marketing Association, on to talk about the success in overturning the um, Colorado Amazon law. Well, just two weeks ago, um, Rebecca, who took the lead in the Performance Marketing Association, had filed a lawsuit in Illinois to challenge the Illinois Amazon tax. And um, started um, two weeks ago, a federal judge, um, a judge in Chicago, ruled that the Amazon tax was indeed unconstitutional. And um, we have not seen a decision yet. It was a decision from the bench on motions for summary judgment. And so it is um, an important victory um, for the Performance Marketing Association. And hats off to Rebecca for being, one, for being a great sport and always being on the show, but two, um, for this very important substantive achievement. And um, so that has happened a couple of weeks ago. Just for your reference, um, we've actually posted a timeline of events on the uh, Amazon tax um, going back from the the date when New York first enacted it several years ago, um, and that can be found at um, tikitaki.com. And just look, type in Amazon Tax Timeline, and we'll also put it on our blog at the Internet Law Center, and I'll put it out on, um, on Twitter as well. So that is a significant event. And why is it significant? One, clearly, anytime a statute is declared unconstitutional, it's significant, but it is the First decision that is a in all the years that we've been debating this Amazon tax that is a head-on um, declaration that this statute is unconstitutional. Um, the Colorado statute was somewhat of an analogous issue, but not quite, quite the same. So this is the first time a court has held that Amazon taxes are um, discriminatory against interstate commerce and um, an undue burden on interstate commerce as a result. And so we, prior to that, the only uh, court opinions that we've had that squarely addressed the issue came from New York, which had upheld the law. So this is a significant decision. And whether or not it will um, dampen the interest in the tax, um, remains to be seen. Um, the very same week, the decision came down. Amazon reached an agreement with Texas to um, resolve their potential um, Amazon issues there um, by agreeing to locate and um, reopen certain facilities that had closed down in retaliation for threats to um, require that they collect taxes in Texas. So, um, the issue is up in the air, and um, so we'll have to wait and see how this progresses. It's definitely an interesting development, and uh, again, congratulations to Rebecca. Another big development that's going on at the moment is in China, and um, there has been a great deal of interest in what's going on over there, um, and it and it relates to the Internet as well in particular. Um, and um, one thing I have some experience with is I had the fortune of being selected among a group of U.S. Internet experts who were able to travel to China and, excuse me, able to travel to um, Thailand. And we, we secretly met with 
uh, a number of leading Chinese netizens, and um, and what they are are people who are you're know, trying to fight the uh, Chinese censorship regime that currently is in place on the internet there, and um, and so having that opportunity, I gained some insight into how the Chinese approach the whole censorship regime there. And they, they definitely are trying to be creative and they try to get around it. Um, for every um, attempt that is made to censor, um, the, the lexicon for the Internet changes and morphs into trying to develop new terms um, to say the exact same thing. And, um, and this became evident in the last month as um, news stories were, were breaking about the latest in um, what was going on in Chinese politics. And there was somewhat of a political struggle that led to one Chinese politician being forced out of their position. And all this is being blogged about extensively in um, social media as well as being blogged about from some prominent U.S. blogs. Um, and so a couple of developments that happened in that respect. One, um, China really tried to increase its crackdown on social media to kind of report, to kind of prevent this what um, airing of its um, dirty laundry uh, in the social media and having uh, what was once um, relatively... Um, restrained political infighting being spread wide across the internet. And um, there was an interesting report um, that was done in um, by AP that kind of detailed how Chinese, the Chinese tried to um, get around the censors. But the first thing the Chinese did was, was try to require that um, anyone using microblogs had to register and do so in their own name. And that was a way to kind of create some chilling effect on speech. But even then, that wasn't enough. And so then as the scandal developed um, over um, a one leading party member who was forced to step down, well, then so did the censorship efforts and anything involving them, as did the efforts to get around this. Um, and this even further escalated with the um, escape from house arrest of um, blind dissident Chen Gongtweng, who um, found his way to the U.S. Embassy um, and was held up there for several days. And um, while this was all occurring, the, the Chinese um, censors were really trying to crack down and really going into high gear um, in this kind of cat-and-mouse battle. And so here's an example of how um, the whole process would work. So first of all, um, one of the first terms to be sensitive, of course, was Chen Gaigueng, um, who was, um, which was China's, um, who was the dissident in question. So right away, his names um, in both Chinese and English characters um, was censored. And then... Um, users to start referring to Chen uh, as a Bing, uh, a popular blind folk musician, and censors quickly caught on then and started um, censoring Bing. And then they also started refer censoring blind man since he was being referred to as a blind man. Um, and, and then um, the word American embassy and consulate got censored 
and then they even went even further. Um, the the day that word broke that um, the dissident had escaped, it just coincidentally, um, state television was airing um, the Shawshank Redemption, which is actually a classic movie if you haven't seen it. But it's a movie about, um, in, es- in essence, a prison break. And that some saw this as some being an indirect nod of an um, of support in support of the dissident, so um, right away people started um, referring to um, the Shawshank Redemption as a code for a term to refer to um, Chen Guacheng, and um, and then Shawshank gets gets um, censored, as does The Great Escape, you know, the other famous um, escape movie. Um, remember, many of you remember featuring Steve McQueen. So all this was going on while this whole drama is unfolding and the U.S. Embassy over what to do with this dissident who, um, who announced that he was there enforcing a standoff with the Chinese government. And, um, and so... As you may, as you probably all know, or many of you know, um, he was um, returned to the Chinese with the assurances that um, his safety would be maintained. But the result that followed, unfortunately, was a crackdown on Chinese netizens, with over a thousand citizens arrested for quote internet crimes. And um, so, it. When we met with the Chinese, you know, there was a lot of things that they, they, they could have learned from us, and they said that someday they hope to. But um, for the most part, what they said is it, we have very little um, – the one thing we only need to learn now is um, to learn how to be able to speak freely on the Internet. And that was a primary concern for them. And by working in a, a mobile environment, um, anyone – is a threat to the Chinese. And, you know, as we said before, we were talking about the, um, the Internet Hall of Fame. You know, one thing they've all achieved is creating a, an atmosphere where, you know, totalitarian regimes don't have to re- fear armies. They have to fear YouTube. And that's definitely one of the great achievements of the Internet. Um, but this was um, something that they definitely will keep pursuing um but unfortunately you know with a thousand arrests i don't know if any of the people i met have been arrested i i pray they are not but um i think you know society can only re- given the technology can only restrain so much and so the the, the way the chinese have reacted um shows a, a great fear of the internet and it resulted strangely enough in a a, a backlash from anonymous um while the, everyone's always hearing reports of the chinese who are actually engaged in hacking um many uh, number of chinese government sites were hacked by um the activist group anonymous including one which was um somewhat comical in, in that it um automatically plays the the who song baba o'reilly um, which some of you may know as Teenage Wasteland. And um, so the, the audacity of, um, of a hacking the Chinese was, is, um, was definitely uh, and something that took, many took note of. In addition, in, and the, um, 
the message posted by Anonymous alerted the Chinese that they were being, um, that their internet was being censored and, and measures they could take to avoid the internet censorship. So, um, that is something I think we're going to be seeing unfolding. Uh, I think, you know, China's going to have to either come to terms, um, with this, um, growing internet population and then you're only there. Clearly they're, they're very quick in reacting by the, the alacrity in which they responded to, um, censoring terms as, as obscure as the Shawshank Redemption. Um, but so that is something we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on. And again, and for those of uh, my friends who were in China, I hope you all are well. Um, but another big development beyond um, the first two things is, um, and something that's getting a lot of attention, is the United States in the last two years has seized over 700 domains. And we just recently seized several, a bunch of domains involved in uh, counterfeiting. Now, a number of the domain seizures have been in connection with copyright infringement, and that those have been the most controversial. We've talked a little bit about the mega upload um, shutdown, and um, but just recently there was a report about a more controversial shutdown, and that is the D A J A Z one, the Jazz One dot com whose domain was seized in the, in November 2010. And under federal law, uh, the, you can, the prosecutors are allowed to seize the domain but must bring a complaint within 90 days. What proceeded to happen was that the U.S. attorney in Los Angeles that seized the domain which was seized ostensibly because it linked to four songs, um, pre-release version of four songs, and based on that alone. And so the domain is seized and the site shut down in November of 2010. Well, the U.S. attorney um, applied for an extension of time in which to submit his complaint, and it was granted. Most significantly, however, was that this was done ex parte and under seal, meaning that the site owner and the general public had no knowledge that this request was being made and had no opportunity to comment or oppose the request. These um, ex parte and under seal requests continued for some time until the point in which um, finally the U.S. attorney um, was not able to present any evidence um, and let the deadline to file a complaint lapse. And in December of 2011, the site was finally returned to its owner. And only just now have the papers involved in the seizure become public. And we're just learning now about what had occurred. And it is being... Her, the lawyer is being quite outspoken in terms of how outrageous this is. Um, he's actually referred to what had happened to this domain as being sent to the digital equivalent of Guantanamo Bay. And um, the fact that a domain can be shut down for a year, actually 13 months, 
and not have any charges brought and not have an even an opportunity to object or present its case as to why its seizure is wrongful um, just seems to be quite outrageous. And it seems to be part of a growing concern over the abuse of these seizures. Um, this seizure is clearly seen to be done at the beck of and calling of the um, the Recording Industry Association, and um, and clearly, you know, they they have weight and they they're entitled to um, have um, the laws enforced fairly as to them. But um, the same should apply equally to those who are seized. And it only gives new weight to the concerns that were raised about SOPA, that you know, we should trust these guys, um, that they will use the powers granted to it ex- ex- expeditiously, um, and um, judiciously, I should say. And clearly, that um, this does not seem to be the case. Now, getting to mega upload, just recently, uh, a very respected um, legal scholar in the internet field, who's he's been on this show before, Eric Goldman, who heads the High Technology Institute at Santa Clara Law School. He actually stepped forward and and let his views be known about the mega upload case, and um, in Eric's view, it is a depressing display of abuse of government authority. Um, and he claims that the government is improperly acting as a proxy for private commercial interests and using its enforcement powers to accomplish what most copyright owners haven't been willing to do in civil court. That is, sue mega upload for an infringement. More importantly, um, Eric is just appalled that the government not only um, would go after mega upload, but would completely shut down its operations and thereby shut down a number of legitimate operations um, without any concern. Um, He he found that shutting down the site um, was the equivalent of shutting down the printing press in in the earlier days and that the government displayed a shocking disregard um, for legal content stored on the site, and that the government apparently doesn't care about this collateral um, damage, which was entirely foreseeable, and it's it's deeply unconstitutional effects. So this has gained um, the fact that someone of Eric's caliber has stepped forward to denounce this has gotten some traction and has been talked about some in a number of um a number of papers and um you could you know build further pressure or at least further scrutiny on the use of the power to just take down a domain without any proceeding um beforehand so um, we would hope to get Eric on the show, and he may be on the show at a later date, but unfortunately he was traveling today. But I think this is a significant development, um, and we will continue to monitor this. Um, there are a number of other developments, though, and um, that we want to keep you up to date on. And one in particular concerns um, Kickstarter. You may recall that we talked about Kickstarter uh, a few weeks back, and... Um, 
Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk further about the $9 million watch on Kickstarter after this. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and um, you may recall we talked a couple times about the website Kickstarter, um, both just in generally and um, talking about uh, some of the projects that were on there, but also specifically recently when we had our talk about the Jobs Act and uh, how it will enable um, crowdfunding. President Obama signed the Jobs Act in April um, last April 2012, and crowdfunding, in which equity is actually sold, um, will become legal some point um, within either the end of this year or beginning of next year, once the Securities and Exchange Commission is able to issue its regulations as to um, how what, plat- what rules will govern platforms that offer shares for crowdfunding. Very briefly, um, crowdfunding is the method by which currently um, businesses are able to raise money through um, donations or um, loans 
um, through platforms like Kickstarter and several other um, web platforms. And they've had some remarkable success. Um, but because of securities laws that limit um, unread, non-public offerings to only um, the accredited investors, um, we um, it, it is only – it hasn't been – you haven't been able to do crowdfunding for securities. Um, so um, one thing we, one thing that is permissible um, is, but you can do it for gifts or for um, loans. But um, so this will become legal where you, websites will be able to, excuse me, do some offering um, through crowdfunding um, once the SEC regs are in place. But the question that comes to mind then is um, who will do that? And right now, Kickstarter has a campaign that is still going on. Um, and the way Kickstarter works is you, you put a, um, your project up and what your goal of raising, and um, and then you only get your funding if you reach that goal. Well, there's a project currently on Kickstarter called the Pebble, an e-paper watch for iPhone and Android that had a $100,000 goal, and um, that it has to be funded by um, May 18th. There's nine days left in the goal. Well, um, as of this moment. Um, 64,976 people have responded to that um, project, and it has raised $9.9 million without offering any equity. And it's just been an amazing response and an incredible success story. Um, at the same time, it, it raises the question, why would you give equity if you can do that? But um, so it's definitely an interesting story. We'll definitely be, be following that a little further. But um, I understand that we have our first our guest on the line. Yes. Hi, Liam. Thank you for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk to us today. And um, Liam, um, tell us a little bit about Symantec. Um, Symantec is the uh, largest uh, computer security company in the world. And uh, we protect uh, millions of uh, computers, both uh, home users and uh, corporations uh, across the globe, um, both in the security market and in uh, the storage and backup uh, market. And um, we uh, recently released our Internet Security Threat Report, which is an annual uh, report that we released that talks about the changes um, in the threat landscape that we've seen from year to year. Uh, so this report is covering 2011. And it's uh, just talking about the differences that we've seen in what attackers are doing and what's going on, what malicious activity is going on on the Internet um, in the last year. And we gathered that information from our global intelligence network, which is a, a network of, of millions of machines around the world that are able to report information to us. And then we um, assimilate that information and, and analyze it to see exactly what activities are happening. When, um, when I saw the, the first headline about the report, it was that there was an 81% increase in attacks. Is that, and uh, that, that just that seems startling. Is, is that a large increase relatively to other years? Yes, that's a very large increase. Uh, we, that's the number of attacks that we blocked this year, and obviously a jump of 81% is, uh, is, is very significant. 
And there are a couple of reasons for that uh, jump, uh, that large jump. And one of the reasons is that the attackers are changing their attacks more. So previously they might have an attack that um, would be static and it wouldn't change over time. So it was very easily recognizable. Now what the attackers are doing is they're constantly changing their attacks as time goes by. So today they'll release something that is different from what they released yesterday, which is different from what they released last week. So the attackers are working harder. They're changing uh, their, uh, how their malware looks, how their attacks look. And also then another contributing factor is the fact that people have released packs or um, kits that attackers can use that will facilitate easy distribution and easy organization of malicious campaigns. So previously where an attacker would have to do a lot of work to change his malware, to change his attack, to make something look different, now these packs are available, uh, easily available, that you can buy them in the, in the underground, and you can very quickly make your attack look different, and you can organize your attack very quickly, and you can launch your attack very quickly. Now, we've heard a lot of discussion about um, hacktivism, and how does that fit in here? Um, is that a significant factor in the 81%, or is that just a, you know, um, just a, a vexing factor in general? Yes, it is also a contributing factor to that 81%, in particular uh, DDoS attacks that we saw, that's uh, distributed denial of service, where you, you try to bring down a site. And we saw quite a bit of that in the last year, particularly around uh, hacktivism. <coughs> and that would definitely contribute to that number. Um, I think the the hacktivism that we saw last year um, was would have contributed largely to the amount of data we saw lost last year. So we saw a lot of data breaches last year. We saw a lot of information stolen. And uh, hacktivism definitely would have contributed to those figures. And the the interesting figure there is that a small uh, number of well-targeted and well-executed attacks resulted in the largest breach of uh, users' data, um, credit card numbers, and uh, information like that. So, what we saw with the with the hacktivism was that uh, even though they didn't uh, compromise the largest portion of the attacks, they did compromise the largest amount of information stolen. Now, what in the report alarmed you the most? Uh, well, certainly the jump in uh, malicious activity, 81% jump, is, uh, is very significant. But uh, as well as that, we also see an increase in targeted attacks. Um, targeted attacks are, are attacks where you will receive an email that has some information in it that you are expecting or that is pertinent to you. Uh, so they're, they're not a spam campaign as such. Um, with the spam campaign, you will receive an email from somebody you don't know with some information in there that you don't care about, and the chances of you opening it are pretty slim. With a targeted attack, um, the attackers will have done some research on you or your company or your job, and they will send information to you or send an email to you with information that looks very like what you would expect to receive, so that the chances of you opening it or clicking on the link or opening the document or opening the email is quite high. In particular, we've seen uh, some attacks in the last year where the attackers had done research on the victim. They had realized that the victim had been to a meeting the previous week. They knew who had attended that meeting. They were actually able to get the minutes from that meeting. And then they sent an email to the victim saying, here are the minutes from last week's meeting. 
um, and named the people who were at the meeting. So the person who received that was obviously expecting to receive it. They opened it up and they became infected because they, they opened that attack. So that's an example of a targeted attack. And we see a lot of these targeted attacks uh, occurring now. And the, the interesting thing uh, from my point of view in this report is that uh, previously we had seen these attacks on large corporations and government entities, maybe defence contractors, government departments, or very large corporations. In 2011, what we saw is that the attackers have started to t- target um, a, a much wider audience. So, you know, small businesses, SMBs, um, they're they're expanding their use of targeted attacks. Um, they're targeting more people. Uh, Fifty about 50 percent of the attacks we saw in 2011 of the targeted attacks were sent to small companies with less than 2,500 companies. Uh, uh, sorry, 2,500 employees, and 18% of the attacks were sent to companies with less than 250 employees. So these targeted attacks are no longer just a, a worry for large corporations. They're also a worry for small, uh, small, corp- uh, small businesses as well. Uh, and that's and a, 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 an interesting aspect of the report. I think it's a very interesting aspect of the report. But it, is, it's, is the migration to smaller companies a factor of or an assumption on the part of the, the hackers that they may their security may be less. Um, I think it's a it's a it's it's a factor of um, the observations the attackers have made in how successful their attacks are, and they've realised that spam is not as useful as it used to be, and we've seen a drop of in spam this year, and that's mentioned in the report as well. Um, so we've seen the amount of spam sent uh, this year has dropped. Now, th- that was you know, due to some, some several uh, takedowns, uh, law enforcement actions that were, that were uh, affecting the amount of spam being sent this year. But outside of that, I think the attackers have realized that um, sending spam from some random email address with some random subject that the, you, the receiver may have no interest in is not at all as effective as these targeted attacks that um, have a much, much greater chance of succeeding, of the user opening them, of the user being fooled, um, and the attackers getting into the into the company, so I think that's uh, probably a driving factor in the increase in targeted attacks as well. Um, now, in terms of response, I mean, do the smaller companies have the the, the equipment or the resources to respond or to prevent uh, such attacks as, um, well, as larger yeah, companies? That's a, that's a good question. Um, it depends on uh, the. Uh, uh, the thinking of the company. If the company thinks, "Oh well, we're just a small company. We don't have, you know, so much that attackers will be interested in. Why would they? Why would they come to us? Um, they'll go to bigger uh, companies with more money. Then, you know, that may be an issue. Maybe an issue. Um, but if the if the company, even if the company is small, if they have a well thought out security plan in place, then uh, they have a good chance of of detecting these uh, these attacks. Um, it's when you know they they haven't really thought it through. Maybe they haven't uh, they haven't got somebody full time looking after their security and um, situations like that. Uh, that's when it becomes riskier for them. Um, so no. yes, it depends on the the situation. But certainly the tools are out there to help them, and the information is out there to help them. And uh, if they uh, put a, a security plan in place um, and and execute it well, they have a very good chance uh, of being protected here. Now I've seen some studies, and I don't know if you've seen them either. But um, you know, IT departments there have not really seen 
large increases in their budgets in, 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 in the private sector. And so you know, they're being asked to fight a war um, that's of in, increased severity with the, the same tools and resources that they had maybe five years ago, and, um, which, you know, which can be quite problematic. And I think it, it goes to a larger issue of you know, how does the market value security? And yeah. you know, how do you value something that it, its value uh, is is that it prevents something? It, it the absence of something is the value. The absence of a huge problem. Yes, uh, exactly. And we've uh, we've seen that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, last year um, there was a very large <coughs> attack on the Sony network uh, by by hacktivists. We believe it was by uh, hacktivists. And uh, we saw that their network was down for several weeks and it cost them uh, a, a huge amount of money. And that's a good example of, of what you're talking about where um, the, the value isn't realized until something bad happens. Um, right. or and even, then, you, know, then you realize that uh, it, w- it would have been worth the money to spend, uh, to spend it on security up front. And um, you know, there was the Securities and Exchange Commission actually took um, took action last year after Citibank was was slow and somewhat incomplete in reporting its um, data breach, and 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 setting standards for what the companies have to report to the marketplace, because the market is an important incentive to having security is that the you know if if there's an obligation to report a material breach to the market, um, and and the market actually responds and creates. A response to your stock and, and implicitly some value on um, how secure you are, then that that creates greater incentive for security as well. I would think. Now, yeah. one of the um, one one of the areas of the report that was interesting was the migration. I guess as as everything else is migrating to mobile platforms. Yes, that's right. Um, with the mobile platforms, we've seen an increase in uh, the number of attacks. Uh, even though the number of attacks is still small, we've seen an increase in it um, in the last year, a large increase. I think it was about uh, 90% uh, increase. Now, you know, you still have to take into account that we're seeing very, very small numbers here um, on the mobile front. But it shows that the attackers are definitely interested in investigating that area and creating malware for that, for mobile phones and trying to make money from mobile phones. And, in fact, we saw a group last year who had the, were able to make potentially able to make a million dollars plus uh, from infecting mobile phones? They'd infected thousands of mobile phones, and they were sending premium text messages, but not uh, a large amount of them. They were sending about one text message every month from each infected phone, and they had thousands of infected phones. And we actually got access to their accounting, and we were able to see that if their con- campaign had continued, if we hadn't stopped their campaign and it had continued for the rest of the year, they would have made a million dollars. Um, wow. So really what we're seeing is the attackers are, they understand very well on Windows how they make money. If they send spam, they make this much money. If they, if they infect your computer, they make this much. If they steal your credit card, it's worth this amount. And really what we see now is attackers investigating the same sort of economics, but on mobile phones. If I infect someone's mobile phone, how much is it worth to me? What is their, what's their personal data worth? If I can get access to their bank account, what's that worth? If I can send a, make a premium phone call or send a premium text message, how much am I going to make from that? And this is the start of uh, the sort of the economic exploration of attacks on mobile phones, and we expect to see this explode in, in the future.
Now, um, is there anything unique about mobile attacks that, that distinguishes them from attacks on you know, other platforms, or it, it, it's really just it's just another um, platform in the same type of attack? Well, it's a little bit of both, actually. Um, we do see the same type of attacks occurring that we've seen happen um, elsewhere. So we definitely see that. But then there's also the unique aspect of mobile phones where you can get access to data that isn't available on regular computers. So, for example, you could access GPS data, um, you could access phone calls, you could access text messages, you could access uh, picture galleries from mobile phones. And those are all, um, that's all information that may not, it's kind of unique to, to mobile phones. And we, what, we, what we see right now is attackers are thinking about that and they're trying to figure out what is it that is on a mobile phone that I can make money of that maybe people haven't thought of before. So we see both attacks. We see the standard attacks that we've seen on other operating systems where they, they send spam or they have a backdoor into your phone. They steal information from your phone. And then we see other attacks uh, that are more unique to, to the mobile uh, phone and the mobile platforms. Uh, two examples are uh, premium rate text messages and premium rate phone calls. Um, actually, the premium rate phone calls is an old trick that we used to see on, on computers when they had uh, modems attached, dial-up modems. Um, it used to be a very, very popular attack back uh, back when that was popular, um, where they they would um, dial out from your mo- from your modem to a premium rate phone number in the middle of the night when you wouldn't be aware of it, and then at the end of the month you'd get this huge bill. Um, so it's a it's an old tactic that they're using again on mobile phones, but it, it shows that they're thinking about what's unique on a mobile phone that they can make money off that's different from from what's on a computer. Um, well, we're going to take a short message. Liam, can you stick around just for a few more sure, minutes? No Great. Well, um, we're talking. Um, when we come back, we'll have more from Liam O'Murchu with Symantec, and we'll be talking about 2011 in numbers on cybersecurity after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I signed us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Are you still wasting marketing dollars on non-performing online campaigns? Then it's time you learn about conversion rate optimization. Sign up for Conversion Conference Chicago, happening on June 25th to 26th. Hi, it's Brasco from WebmasterRadio.fm here to tell you about the first ever conversion conference in Chicago. Here's your chance to learn from leading conversion experts like landing page optimization guru Tim Ash and the doyen of internet marketing, Amy Africa. In two days, two days, you'll get the tools and strategies you need to take your conversion rates and revenues to a whole new level. Imagine 20 sessions with 20 conversion authorities packed into two amazing days at the Hyatt Regency McCormick Place. Plus, WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get a 10% discount on their pass. Simply register online at ConversionConference.com with promo code WMFM. 
or click on the Conversion Conference banner on the WebmasterRadio.fm website. What are you waiting for? Save your seat to Conversion Conference Chicago 2012 and sign up now at ConversionConference.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Your virtual webmaster frat house. WebmasterRadio.fm. Hey, bring your togas. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back with Liam Omerchu. He's the manager of North American Operations for Semantic Security Technology and Response. And we've been talking about Semantic's Internet Security Threat Report for 2011. And if you go to Semantic's website, and I'll, I will post a link to it as well, um, they have some great infographics that the report is available for download. It's also available on SlideShare. And in addition, they have a great infographic, 2011 in, a, in numbers. Um, and I gave, you guys did a great job on this, Liam. Um, 5.5 billion total attacks blocked in 2011. Um, one in 299 overall phishing rate. Um, this is the numbers are astounding. Um, eight new zero-day vulnerabilities. Um, overall email virus rate, one in 239. It's, it's really um, well presented and, and put together. Now, Liam, um, um, I, I'm glad you came. You, you can stick with us for this. Um, what can people be doing now to um, make sure that they're not an anecdote in next year's report? Yes, it's uh, it's important to really think about security, and that's really what we encourage people to do is, um, you know, really think about what it is you want to protect and what's valuable in your scenario, whether that is a home user who wants to protect their banking information and, and their photos or where, whether that's a corporation who has uh, hundreds of users to protect. Um, really to think about it and to have a strategy and a plan in place. Now, if you're a home user, that may be just... Um, patching your computer and installing uh, a security suite. Um, if you're a corporation, then obviously the plans can get far more complex, um, including uh, security in depth. Um, one of the things that we see uh, emerging technology we see emerging now is uh, data loss prevention, which uh, means you have proper access to the valuable data in your uh, corporation and you understand who should be accessing that what amount of data they should be accessing, and you can spot anything that's outside of the norms. And that's very good uh, protection, um, particularly with these attacks that are going after intellectual property. Uh, and uh, just to keep aware of the, the latest news, uh, in, in fact, uh, reading ISTORs and, and publications like this is very helpful uh, to keep you abreast of, of what are the latest uh, techniques that uh, attackers are using um, and, and what's changing, because this, this, this threat landscape changes all the time. 
And how different is the landscape, say, from three years ago? Um, it's actually quite significantly different uh, from, from three years ago. Um, every year we see an increase in the numbers. So uh, the numbers are, are going up and up and up, the number of attacks that we see. Um, it's getting easier and easier for attackers to launch attacks. Um, and they're using new techniques. They're using social networks in particular. Um, social networks have become very popular with attackers. And that's because of the trust that is built into social networks. If you receive an email from someone you don't know, the chances of you opening it are quite slim. If you receive a message um, on Facebook from your friend who says, hey, check out this cat and, and click on this link, the chances of you clicking on that are far greater. So attackers are taking advantage of that and they're, they're moving into uh, social networks. So really the idea is uh, just to be aware that, uh, that things are changing uh, and what are the latest uh, techniques that attackers are using. Um, attackers are always looking for new ways to, uh, to be successful, to make money, to, to launch their attacks. Um, so that's what we're seeing nowadays. Now, Liam, I wasn't born yesterday. No one would post a picture of a cat on Facebook, would they? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, exactly. This is it. And, you know, I'm sure we all have friends that have, um, you know, you get these messages from them and you'll know, oh, no, they, they clicked on one of those links and now uh, messages are being spammed out from their account and you have to contact them and say, hey, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't click on those links. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a very popular uh, technique now. And, of course, the advantage of that is in, uh, under certain circumstances, if you click on those links, then they can send messages to all of your friends telling them to click on the link. Exactly. And, of course, it just continues. Uh, so, yes, the, the amount of, of scams and tricks that the attackers have um, up, up their sleeves is, is incredible. Now, yeah, I was just joking because it seemed like everyone's always posting pictures of dogs and cats. Often very cute and funny pictures. Now, you guys are having a webinar, I believe, was it next week, to go over your findings. Um, Is that correct? Uh, Yes. um, um, I wanted to mention the uh, Twitter chat that we're we're going to have. um, Oh, yes, please. uh, On uh, Tuesday, May the 15th at at 10 a.m. If you use the hashtag hashistor, um, you can chat with experts from Semantic who will be um, on, on Twitter and watching for people's uh, tweets there. From uh, 10 a.m. until 1 p.m., um, uh, sorry, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, uh, 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And uh, yeah, you can just uh, send uh, messages and uh, the experts at Semantic will be able to respond to them and give you information about the trends and everything that's happening and all the information in the ISTR. Sure, and that's, um, that's going to be this next Monday, the 15th. And what was the hashtag again? Uh, it's like Tuesday, the 15th, at uh, oh, the Tuesday hashtag 15th. is oh, sorry. Or. <laughs> yes. And the hashtag was? ISTOR for Internet Security Threat Report. ISTR, Internet Security Threat Report. Um, and again, please check out, and if they want to go to the um, Threat Report uh, website, is. Uh, yes, if you go to uh, semantic.com, um, you'll, you'll actually uh, see it. Uh, it's promoted uh, very prominently on the front. Well, Liam, I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, this information is very valuable, and um, you guys have done a great job in putting it together and presenting it, and you've been a good sport being on. So I hope you'll um, keep us updated um, and consider joining us again. But um, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. Well, thank you for having me. And I um, want to thank everyone for joining us today. Um, 
We'll be back next week with another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Just a quick note, um, today in history, as you know, I'm often fond of, um, it was today in 1974 that the House Judiciary Committee um, voted um, began impeachment hearings in Richard Nixon, and um, which ultimately led to the House actually um, Judiciary Committee voting articles of impeachment. Uh, it never went any further because Nixon resigned shortly thereafter. So a significant day in history, and um, but we'll, we'll be with you next week, and will be another historic day of Cyber Law and Business Report. And I want to thank you all. Um, court is adjourned. This is Bennett Kelly. Have a good week, and um, look forward to seeing you next week. I, right here from Santa Monica the Internet Law Center. Bye-bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.